Hi, I am Mark Fields. I'm your host, and this is the Kinship Collective. We are ending otherness, coming together to grow solidarity by sharing our stories and reimagining scripture together. Today, I get to introduce you to an incredible friend in person, Micah Wilson. She's the director of operations for the Kinship Collective, helping us to grow, to get to the space where we can meet together live and in person. I can't wait for those moments. Until then, you get to hear Micah's story about how she encountered and embraced a sense of her identity that cost her job, friends, people around her, and the complete way things were. And she shares about how she encountered God in the unexpected place that affirmed who she was, understood and validated who she was, and encouraged her and invited her into a new way of being and a new reality. And then we talked about 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, here's Micah. Hello, family. Welcome to the Kinship Collective. I am Mark Fields, and we are working together to end otherness. We want to grow solidarity by celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture together. Today, I have my dear friend and our new operations director for Kinship Collective, Micah Wilson. <laughs> there it is. Hi, guys. Hello. Um, Micah, to me, is a, an extraordinary person. I was going to say a bunch of ums, and I could just hear Karen <laughs> destroying me. So, Micah is an extraordinary woman of faith and courage. I was introduced to her through a mutual friend, and I was so in awe of her courage, of your courage, the ways that you navigate, the leaps of faith that you've taken. And it inspired me because there's there's fear, there's anchors, and there's ways that I feel still kind of held up in a lot of ways. I thought we could have a conversation about how you've come to be this person of faith-leaping, courageous faith. I'd love to hear from your story. What kind of, how'd you get to this place with these sick freaking <laughs> shoes? For those of you listening, they're just nasty. I'm like... <laughs> We're going to read the Old Testament scripture. That's today, crazy. And I'm like, don't cut it. Don't cut it. They're too small for you, Mike. So sorry. Yeah. yeah. How, I, how I came to be. How, how you came to be That's here. crazy. Yes. Um, I think for me, the most transformational sort of worldview as to how I got here today in this, um, where, where everything for me is faith, mm. I got to that space through just being willing to feel everything. Mm -hmm. So I think I spent in just being a kid, being a kid in Texas, in the church, in sports, in all those things, just putting on this, and I'm Micah, and everything is good, and mm -hmm. all the feelings I feel are good, and I love sports, and I'm good at sports, and all these things, and it was just this washed over version of me um, ignoring the pain, ignoring the different inclinations I had about my own heart. And then in college and after college, I got to a space where I felt like it was time to just 
feel everything mm -hmm. and see where that took me. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the thing that was like, oh, <laughs> and this is where life begins. Mm. Um, and then slowly but surely, um, she was the one to kind of realize that I had so many pieces of me that were not acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And the fear there for both of us was that I would never acknowledge them. Mm. So she left. And the second she did, I was like, I got to get my stuff together. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, a lot of therapy, a lot of really hard conversations with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And just came to the space where I felt like if I jumped right into it, I would learn who God really was mm -hmm. and see what, what that guy was made of. Mm -hmm. There's, to me, there's a lot of, like when we talk about the feeling element, I know for me, I feel similarly about <laughs> my therapy lately, are a lot of conversations around real Mark or wounded Mark versus like ideal Mark. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to make decisions or live from a place of like, this is ideal Mark. This is the picture of a dad that I want to be. Right. This is a picture of a husband I want to be. This is a picture of a person I want to be. And it's it's hard to like navigate right. the ideal because I do. It's aspirational, Mark, and the real. Like it, it's just so for me, some of that therapy journey has been like, how do I hold the places in me I don't want to hold? Mm -hmm. How do I hold the places in me that are hard to hold? And I'm thankful for my wife, my partner, Karen, and the ways that in her therapy journeys, she encourages me just to hold it. And it's interesting to me that you would mention love and in love and the person, like the ways that those kind of emotions would bond you to a person and then the way that that bond can inspire you to do things maybe you wouldn't have ever done before. Certainly would have never done before. <laughs> <laughs> so for you, when you talked about that jumping, you said jumping, I don't know how you phrased it. It was either jumping in, you did, definitely didn't say jumping in two feet or feet first <laughs> or taking the lead or any of that. But what did that look like for you? So you talked about starting to have really difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. So she tells you, I don't think you're ready or healthy. I, don't, right. I can't remember how you phrased it. Right. Then how do you navigate from that moment? What becomes, like, what presents itself as how you do the courageous kind of faith mm -hmm. next step? I think it started for me as this love and even just love in general outside of her is something that I want to have forever. And so to hold on to love, I have to do absolutely everything I'm afraid of. No matter how scared I am of the outcome, no matter how just tormented I may be by the process, that's what I had to do. So in the beginning, the, the first, I guess, difficult conversation was with myself of like, mm -hmm. Am I really going to do this? Am I, at the time I was working at the church, mm 
And so I had to reconcile, am I going to come out? First of all, am I gay? Am I gay? If so, if yet, yeah, like flowchart style, yeah. like if yes, then can I work here? If no, am I being excluded from the church or is that God excluding me? Mm-hmm. And am I okay with that? And if it's God excluding me, then who is God? And is there a different God or a bigger God? And so for me, it became, I, I need to, first the order was, I want to go to therapy and I want to figure out, am I gay? And is this okay? Is it okay to be gay? Or do I really need to lean into the sort of Christian celibacy style life? Um, and so I went to, a very, very spiritual therapy of um, not your traditional um, like psychology situation, but more deep, the deepest parts of prayer you could go to with a very spiritual man who I obviously owe my life to and because of everything of who I am today is because of this process. But in that, he was also not affirming. So I was stepping into a space each and every day of trying to decide if I was gay and if that was okay, knowing that the person on the other end of the phone call truly believed that either A, I wasn't gay, or B, it wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of this situation, I wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. And I knew that going in, and that was arguably something I wanted. Because if the Christian way was to kind of deny yourself and follow God, Mm -hmm. then that's what I wanted to do. Mm Um, and I just got into that (laughs) space, Mm -hmm. the really terrifying, who are you, Jesus, Mm -hmm. and learned poetically and ironically that I was okay, and that not only was the love that I was experiencing okay, but it was also beautiful. And it was also not something that I deemed that like God was shying away from, but more so that like God was leaning into with me. And I think that became the sort of touchstone or catalyst, that moment then propelled me forward of, I'll tell the church, I'll come out to my family, I will, do everything I need to do if I need to leave my job, if I need to leave my house, if I need to leave all of these systems that I find myself in because I know I'm okay and because I know that love is the goal, I'll walk through all of it. Mm. And so the last couple of years have been just looking at those tasks and being like, oh, <laughs> okay, one more time mm. and, and doing it and seeing, seeing what kind of God shows up on the other side. Mm. I... I'm like blown away by your story, by this element of, it's almost like for you to have come to that understanding in the midst of a process that's designed for you not to, with a person uh, who would have almost kind of guided you away from that, 
And somehow you encountered, you talked about poetically and beautifully, you came to this sense of self uh, and a sense of being loved and known and it's interesting i want to it's like i'm trying to shy away from the word affirmed Mm -hmm. because it's i just don't think that's what happened but i think you were right understood and validated by god right and you sense that and i'm curious about how you came to sense that Mm -hmm. you sense something so deeply that you chose self and that understanding Mm -hmm. over every other system in your life at the time Mm -hmm. so can you share a little bit about that moment the the, or even the process of coming coming to that moment i'm sure there was i don't know how that was for you was it was it a moment where you sensed and felt fully listened to and understood and validated by god Mm -hmm. was it kind of that the journey obviously that was a a journey through those questions every day. Right. What was that like? I think, so the the sort of therapy in and of itself is called heart healing. Um, and it essentially is a process where you, so the, the Bible talks about keeping records of wrong. And so everything that you're doing in this therapy is clearing records of wrong. So you're essentially forgiving everyone you thought you couldn't or that you maybe didn't even realize that you hadn't yet. And so I had walked through, it would probably been six months, this makes me sound like just an angry, unforgiving type of person, but I had rolled through just six months of pretty much nonstop going into the really deep space and trying to acknowledge my pain, acknowledge what it was and why it was there, and then do whatever I can to forgive whoever was involved in that circumstance, and then give them back their power and authority and give them back the love that, that they deserve for me. And so it's not, it's not fair for me to hold something against you, metaphorically you. And so it was a process of like, I'm gonna forgive you over here and you're not even gonna know about it because you don't owe me anything. Yeah. I'm gonna do this and then I will love you and I will bring myself to the table and you will be restored to who you are in my life mm-hmm. and all these things. Can I pause you for a second? Of course. One of the things that you mentioned, you said this probably makes me sound like a horrible person or something like that. I think we all could do six months, a year. <laughs> we could spend a lifetime working on forgiveness. So mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing, I think, broken or irregular about the amount of wounds. I think all of us and the ways that we hold life. Right. Um, and, for, and for now I'm thinking of people who have been suppressed in their identity. Uh, people of color growing up in systems, whether it's mm-hmm. education or religious systems that suppress parts of their identity, of course you have a lot of, there's there's so much in there to like be worked through. Right. So I wanted to pause and be like, hold up, you're an extraordinary human being. <laughs> Should have saw that coming. Um, and then also you, you mentioned um, giving them their power back. And the way that I interpreted that I guess it's almost like I need a little bit of clarity because for me, what you were doing is taking your own power back. Like you had given them some control within you, some spaces that were driving you in an unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, I gave them their power back. Am I hearing that the same? Is that they're one and the same? Like, is that? To me, yeah, because I think 
in order for me to become the most best version of myself, that if we're talking about a collective lifestyle, that implies that you too can be your best self. And so for me, it was bringing, bringing myself forward in kind of a village mindset, taking, taking my power back so that I'm not holding you at a, at a crutch. Because if every time I look at you, I'm reminded of the thing that you did wrong that hurt me, I cannot see the beauty in you. I cannot see the power in you. I can't see um, all the things that, that my God sees of you. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm willing to look at my broken pieces and be affirmed and validated, then my obligation as a person is to do the same for you. And so by, by power, I kind of just mean that I am not, I put myself in a position to be praying for and allow even the people that had hurt me most to want to excel and to want to have what I believe I found in God also. Awesome. So you, you head down this process, you start mm-hmm. doing that, and then back to how you ended up like the the waking up or the your own internalizing right. of that understanding or validation. So how did that process come about? The big just twist at the end. It was like, oh, I have to forgive myself. That's crazy. Oh. I like I had a part in all this, mm-hmm. and so the last sort of session that we went through mm-hmm. was me forgiving me and the stuff that came out of my own heart in that that was clearing out of my heart things i was saying out loud of like i forgive you for being gay i forgive you for hiding these parts of you i forgive you for not letting yourself be the fullest i forgive you for putting other people before you i forgive you for not listening to your heart like these were all things that were coming out and the second they came out and i was clear and open and vulnerable and willing to let God kind of interrupt that process after I just said what I needed to say to myself. I expected, my intention going into that space was that I would be met with a God that would impress upon me, I love you and it's okay because I love you, not what I feel like I felt in that space that was, I love you and I love this, and you're okay. Mm-hmm. Those felt so different. And so to get all the way in there and say just everything I thought I would never say out loud, never admit, and then see, and my, my eyes are closed at this point, so start seeing in my heart, in my mind, this picture of Jesus that is with me and the girl that I love together. Not, split, not splitting us up, not asking us to be anything different, just wholly acknowledging love in the most pure and authentic and beautiful form. And also it was gay. Not like instead of or because, or like it just was like, and that's, that's a part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that space for me was just instant tears Mm -hmm. crumbling not even talking to the guy on the other side of the session i'm just crumbled 
And I remember thinking, I will build my entire life around this moment. No matter where that takes me, how hard it gets, I will do absolutely everything from this point on to honor that. Mm. Because I had been taught about God in the church, I taught about God in the church, but there was not a single thing I ever heard or spoke that came close to what that felt like. And so now, today, I'm in forever pursuit of that God and that feeling. And I have found that to find that God, you have to keep jumping and keep leaping and keep doing the things that you fear the most. And the radical, miraculous, like this, the words that we use almost kind of fake yeah. and cheesy and, and yeah. churchy, those words become real. And so now I just am like, that's a cliff and I'm gonna jump it because I know that that God that met me there will not let me be by myself here. Hmm. To me, where I sit in this uh, socially distant, uh, but from where <laughs> I sit, it feels like when you talk about that moment of crumbling you experienced, mm -hmm. I'm sensing your body, like the parts in you, it's almost like a, um, an embodied remembering. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I'm sensing you, it's like mini crumble. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it, but you're in a, you're in a, a holy and a, an, a wondered, like a wonderful, if, if all these words that have different <laughs> definitions, but like you're in a, I, I'm sensing you being like, whoa, this is the holy ground. Like this is, yeah. that was that place. And even talking about it and remembering it, like takes you back to that place a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think even in preparation for this conversation last night, just sitting with myself and, and thinking about, you know, who, who am I, where have I been and where do I want to go? Even, even last night, I, the first thing I did was cry because it was this moment of like, I have such a deep reverence for pain and for joy and how those two for me are so interconnected. And to honor that space is to still feel it. And to be able to step into a space with you and see whatever you bring to the table as well demands of me that I still feel mine. And so I like aspire to live in continued reverence for these moments and keep them so close that I never forget just the legitimate, like metallic taste of mm. that pain and that joy and that and all the things. And so, yeah, walking into this room, sitting in this chair, I'm already in this super spiritual space because I think it it demands attention if you find yourself in a space to have the strength to give it to it. Mm. So to me, to hear the awe and wonder and reverence uh, for those deeper parts of who we are, the places that maybe feel incongruent, there's the aspiration and the real and the pain and the joy. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like to have been to some place that feels that way and then to maybe walk into different church spaces or spaces where you once were mm -hmm. and to, to not feel that sense of awe and wonder or reverence for pain or honoring of somebody's story or witness or a, a God that's not the God that you met after all of the work of forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and, and to come to this place where you meet this sense of God and that deep sense of love and you say, I'll pursue this love and this God for the rest of my life and every time there's a cliff, I'm going to push myself into spaces that are beyond me mm -hmm. because that's how I encounter this God. Mm -hmm. And then to like be aware of or to, to like look at different spaces where people go or gather to meet that God and to be like, whoa, uh, right. same God or... <laughs> or no. Yeah. What? Share a little bit about what that feels like or what that means to you nowadays? I think it depends on the space. If I find myself in sort of a traditional evangelical American church that's not affirming, I think that's really hard because the God that I love and that I believe loves me is is almost used as a tool in that space to say, you can't bring that part of you here. Um, and so I would say that, that the non-affirming church is triggering because it feels like things that I love, be it Jesus, be it the Bible, the things that, that I loved the most during this season of my life were the things that were being used to hurt me. And so that was a constant war of but I found God in church and I want to find God in church and I want to be a part of this community that's so often praised and, and publicized, but now I don't have access. Mm. Um, and then to, on the other side of that coin is there are churches that are beautiful and they're affirming and I am welcomed there. But even that for me just feels like it's not enough to say, I don't, the moments I find God in are at the dinner table with the people I love the most, having conversations about the things that have hurt us the most and how we got here and how we survived. And, and who God was in those moments I, in our house my roommates and I, a number one question that I've even asked you is, who is God to you today? And that just speaks to whatever pain that you're feeling because naturally God is meeting that need. Mm -hmm. And to go from that to sort of um, very structured, we have 10 minutes to worship and then 30 minutes to listen, and the, it just doesn't feel honoring. And I don't feel seen and I don't feel like my brand of faith is present there. And so that, I think that has been one of the hardest things for me. I listened to a podcast and it was called Going to Church Shouldn't Hurt. And it was a woman and I'm so irritated that I can't remember her name right now. Come back to that cider at the end. We'll put it, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> um, 
she essentially talked about how in the history of Christianity, there were always people both inside the church and outside the church, but somehow we found ourselves today almost criminalizing those that don't go to church. And so we don't have the respect that the Bible often had for people that didn't find themselves in the temple. Mm -hmm. There were always people that weren't going to the temple. There mm -hmm. were always, like, I was always represented, but the American church was telling me otherwise. And so I think the, the most painful, the most triggering thing is the lie that there aren't more of me out there. Mm. And so once I stepped kind of out, out of church into, to use the language, the wilderness, I found my people. Mm. I found my best friends. I found the people that each and every day saved my life just by breathing themselves. And in turn, the God within them. And all of that for me was not in spite of, but it was just because I didn't feel like I had a home, a traditional home in the church. Mm -hmm. And so now I have it elsewhere mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. when, when you talked about some of the extent of your pain, you've talked about how others have saved you. Uh, and I'm curious about what that means to you. Mm -hmm. You talk about your roommates and the ability to come to that table and drink superb coffee. And, <laughs> and um, to be together, though. And you talked about what bonds you and, the, and what you just said that means the most to you is that you can open your wounds with one another. Mm -hmm. And that that somehow saved you. What does that mean? If I can just input a trigger warning for anyone yeah, listening, yeah, I yeah. think conversations around mental health and suicidality warrant attention, but also... They can be triggers themselves. They can be triggers. So that's the warning. I'm going to go there. Let's do it. Um, I, think, I think for me, what the whole journey cost me of saying... You know, who is God and am I willing to lose him? And then who am I and am I willing to lose her? The biggest cost that was on the table was my life because I got to a space where it, I knew I could live, but I knew that I couldn't live like this. And I had so much self-loathing of all the pieces that today I, all my favorite pieces of myself mm. then were the things that I just hated. I didn't, I didn't want to have a different perspective of God than anyone else. I didn't want to feel othered. I didn't want to be a part of the LGBTQ community. I didn't want, like, everything that I now love most about myself were all the things that I was trying to just give up. And so that brought me to a space of just heavy depression of, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't like this. I don't want to be here. I don't have a purpose. I don't have life. I don't have love. And I think now, today, everyone that I find that is closest to me has felt that feeling too. And so for me to be acutely aware of my own suicidality is to be acutely aware of 
the people I love. And I think being able to talk about that freely and openly and it not be scary or it not feel like, um, like I'm burdening or that someone has to meet me in a space to keep me, like, it's not like that. And so that, for me, the, the saving that I talk about is really, I have seen the people I love most save themselves. And that is enough motivation for me to keep waking up every single day and save myself too. And so I owe it all to that dinner table, mm. essentially. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. When you talked about your, you've learned somehow to celebrate the places in you that are most incongruent with maybe what you one at one time wanted, mm-hmm. your your old aspirations mm-hmm. to not to no longer have this feeling, to no longer have this attraction, to no longer. How did you get to the place where? you could celebrate that, where you would now say, I cherish this. This is where I find some of the most joy. I think being able to meet myself there and say, eventually get down to the the honest part of it and say, I love you, self, was the most treasured thing that I have. But then similarly to to show up at the table, to sit next to my best friend and say, I really don't like this about me, or I am feeling this and it hurts so bad and I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And to let her into that moment and to see myself and the broken pieces of me be loved by someone else. The, The parts of me that I would have argued in the beginning of my life were the most unlovable Mm -hmm. to both love myself there and then allow others to love me there is something so beautiful, doesn't compare to anything else, that now I'm at a place where how can that not be celebrated? How can I, if I need to fall apart, which I do, I'm a person and it's gonna catch up and I'm gonna get tired and I'm gonna fall apart. And that's something I used to do alone if I now can walk into someone I love and say, I just can't do it, and let myself cry, and let myself feel the things that I used to be afraid of, and be met there, to me that's like grief becomes a celebration, and pain becomes a celebration, because now love showed up, and now real love showed up, and God's here, so how are we gonna use all that? Like, now it becomes almost a accelerant forward. Like, what can we create from this space that's really honoring to the journey that we've all walked through? Mm-hmm. So that other people that are walking, have walked or will walk through it, can find themselves identified among us. Mm-hmm. And that they know they have a home among us too. Mm-hmm. And that's small scale. If someone walks in my house, I want you to feel like you can be exactly who you are and not hide any piece of you. You're loved 
and listened to and understood and valid. All of those things you have access to here um, because I, I was given it. Mm. And so now it's almost this like, who am I without that? Who am I without the love I share and the love I receive? I don't know. The power of uh, community. And when, when I'm not strong enough, even that sense that I'm supposed to be strong enough, but that mm -hmm. in my weakness I can be held. I feel like I've heard somebody talk about in our weaknesses there's something about strength or something. Somebody might have said that one time. Somebody. Um, all, all of our conversation around some of the the high points of emotion mm -hmm. and the low um, scary points of emotion and sentiment and identity. It reminds me of a scripture, a passage in uh, the Old Testament where um, it's almost like one of these Hall of Fame God followers, mm -hmm. Elijah, has just like dominated just like mountain high literally talking trash and just like i'm that mm -hmm. bleeper mm -hmm. i'm that hitter mm -hmm. i'm the guy uh, you can't this guy are you kidding me go yo do it and just right. like and he's just keeps challenging mm -hmm. um but there's this moment where he just has this huge victory where god displays power and love and favor and choosing and invitation to the people to remember who God is. Right. Back to what you talked about, this sense of like remembering, knowing who God is. Elijah has that moment and then he hears from the person in power, I'm coming for you. <laughs> By this time tomorrow, right. you're going to be dead. Mm -hmm. And he's overcome. He just switches from like number one pick, I'm the guy, uh, up and is stuck just like and now he's into this valley of depression and fear and right. loneliness and there's this moment and it, it just all that resonates with me about where we're at in our conversation the story and how we encounter God and the ways that we look for God and so this is the story this is the part of the story I love to hear what you think afterwards we'll rock and roll mm -hmm. from there mm -hmm. we're in first Kings Chapter 19. Um, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 9. And we'll probably go through like 12 or 13. Yeah, we will. Come on. Come on. So Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of God came to him. God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? God said, I have been so, uh, psych, Elijah said. Uh, where are we at? Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Remix, rewind. <laughs> this re is a remix. Re re All that staying in, by the way. <laughs> 19 verse 9. This is the new Location point, sound point, whatever points. <laughs> there he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of God came to him, said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? 
And Elijah said, I, I've been so jealous for you, God, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altar. They killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, I'm the only one left. Now they're seeking them for my life. They want to kill me and take my life away. And God said, go, go out. Stand on the mountain. And behold, God passed by. It was a great, a strong wind tore the mountain apart and broke it into pieces. Rocks laid before God on the ground. But God wasn't in that wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But God wasn't in the fire or the earthquake or the wind. But after the fire, there was a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So in the context of all that we've talked about, mm -hmm. where we hear God, how God sounds, what we're used to, what we would expect God to sound like, what, what stands out to you from that passage today? Oh, man. Kind of a lot. I think I resonate with the beginning moment of God being like, go on this mountain, boy. Like, get up. Why are you in a cave? Go to where I told you to go. You already know where you should be. You already know who I am. Mm. I've told you all the things. You're a good, like, you are good, Elijah. Go. I resonate with that moment because it's like, how many times do we know exactly what we need to do? But I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah. I don't think, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. Even if that mountain is something like coming out where on the other side of it, I knew I would be more free. It's still scary because I walk up to that mountain and it's not as much that I expect to hear God in the wind or expect to see God in the quake or expect to feel him in the fire. It's that on top of that mountain, when I go to the place that scares me, I know that there's wind. I know that there's an earthquake. I know that there's fire. And I know that that for me is enduring. That for me, and coming out for me was, I lost my job in a pandemic. <laughs> I was unemployed for 10 months. I lost friends. I lost sense of self. I had a really hard time with my family. I sort of stepped into this season where all I felt was fire. All I felt was an earthquake. And the, the call I kept asking of myself was like, just show up just endure, just wake up in the morning, and eventually you will see. Eventually you'll get to the whisper. And it will be so beautiful because it'll be so still and it'll just be you and God. But you, you've got to do what you need to do. 
and then you have to endure what comes and you have to love people while you do it. And then you'll get to the space, the freedom space, that's so calm, that's such a whisper, but it's still like, oh, there you are. I got all <laughs> wrapped up in this, but there you are. And here I am, so now I'm gonna walk out this cave, I'm gonna go back to what I knew I should have been doing the whole time, and I'm gonna trust that you're good and what you've said is good. And so, for me it was the moment of what I feel like I'm in now, to say, yeah, the, the past year, two years of my life were almost inherently difficult. Mm. Um, but today, I wake up and what I've gained doesn't even compare. And it's because I didn't shy away from that fire. Because I had mustered enough faith, sometimes like literally just enough, mm -hmm. literally just enough to say, I know that you'll show up at some point. I can do this to get to you. And so now I feel like I'm just living in the whisper. <laughs> mm. And it's super beautiful. But it's been so hard. So it just, that whole thing gets me thinking about the, just the journey of Elijah to be like the dude. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> my God's gonna light this on fire, you watch. Does it and then is like, I gotta go be in a cave, I'm scared. And so hmm. that part, and God's like, I know you're scared. He's not saying, how did you get here? He's just saying, why are you here? And then like somehow through all the things, through all the situations, Elijah finds God, but Elijah finds, finds himself. Finds himself again and then goes back out. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really interesting. I think what you said about like finding himself, there's in my brain a, a lot of... Uh, some of my Franciscan fathers that I'm reading right now, Roar and Father Greg Boyle, uh, they both, they mentioned the Buddhist idea about remembering and the, the overall objective of remember who you are, mm -hmm. that this journey is about remembering who you already are. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it would say recognition, we recognize, we recognize our patterns to see, to remember, to be, and it's just, is just interesting to me. Like when you when you shared about those mountaintop moments, sometimes they they actually make us forget who we are. Mm -hmm. And like for Elijah, he does the huge thing that he's been wanting to do. And it just it makes me think of like the, the the highs in my own life, where you get to the high, and there's nowhere to go potentially but down. Which then I, in my brain is counterbalanced by like. Right. Glory to glory <laughs> to glory to glory to glory. It's like, it just reminds me of Brother Fred Hammond of just like, no, it's, it is glory to glory. But how, how do we manage like the mountaintop? Because sometimes we can forget who we are even in the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. And what feels like a success, we become so attached to it that 
that moment was just marked by total like God is here. God showed up. This is all good. And then he receives a word that is incongruent with that experience. And he can't hold it because he's so identified with the mountaintop. <laughs> and he's like, I'll be right back. Yeah. And runs to the cave, cries, hide. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mad at him because, man, catch me in the cave. I'll, for sure. I'll see me in the cave. I'll be in the cave. You looking for me? <laughs> Email Micah. She'll text me. I'll be in the cave. So um, it's like. Yeah, I, I just resonate with that. But it's it's what you talk. It's sometimes even the mountaintop is disorienting and we become too identified with it. And we forget even what the mountaintop is about, who brought us to the mountaintop, how we got there. And it's interesting to even talk about that within me, because I think for me. The some of the space, which is why I so appreciate who you are, because coming out of seminary reconstructing a faith that can hold the people in my family mm-hmm. who've come out um, that can hold suicidality and joy and it's not just like God's promises are yay and amen <laughs> which is like cool I'm cool but for me right now yeah. I'm just like catch me in the cave yep uh, so I don't know. So I can be so like intellectual and that's why I so appreciate your embodied faith and, and how you, um, it's not just internalized, but your experience, like you have held that experience. You have not just rehearsed that experience, but you have continued to press into, to remember and to recognize around the moment where God said, I love you and I love that mm-hmm. and all that's good mm-hmm. and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting and back to the story where it's like then all the circumstances is like <laughs> right. pandemic, lose job, yeah. exacerbate every problem in your mm-hmm. life already. So, oh, yeah. And then you come to a moment where, oh, within that somehow not there not but there's like this still the still small voice the low whisper that calls us back to to ourselves Mm -hmm. wow and also to our dreams I mean we're made we are made to dream and dream big and unequivocally like we're made for this so if we forget who we are then we forget what we want and we forget why we want it and what we're chasing and why we're chasing and so to come back home to yourself is to come back home to the faith in the things that maybe aren't real yet but that you know are coming and so for me, it was, I think I mentioned in the beginning of that, that moment for me is, is the reason for everything because it is hinged on my belonging, but it's also hinged on my dreams and what it will mean the day they come true. And so I find myself now in a space of 
almost like in the whisper being like, okay, you made it. Look at what we're going to do. Look about like the Drake lyric, like about to see what's happening next. Like that's what I feel about like what's next. Now all these things that I've said that I've wanted from the beginning, whether it be belonging, whether it be a safe space, whether it be any sort of dream, whether it be the girl, whether it be the love, like all of that now, though it was possible in the beginning, I couldn't carry it because I couldn't carry me. And mm -hmm. so now it's like, oh, now that stuff, the like bigger, immeasurable sort of stuff that God can do, it's not like otherworldly. It's just very tangible. And it's like, oh, this can now happen because I now have the foundation of faith to say that, of course, that's going to. Of course, I will get to look at the love of my life one day and say, yes, crazy, crazy couple years we just walked through. Don't know where you've been, who you are, what, like, we haven't, don't know what's going on. But from this moment on, I believe that it was you and I loved you. And so I will always love you. And to look at dreams and be like, this is something I want to create. To see that dream and then create it, even in terms of kinship, of like what we think kinship can be. It's like, yeah, it's a dream, but it's a dream that's so possible, that's so achievable, because we have been honest about the pain to see that joy is possible, to see that heaven is possible. I get like down a weird tangent where I start thinking about like on earth as it is in heaven and how for me it's like not at all about heaven but that is a hundred percent about earth Come on. and so we're just on earth like let's let's bring that thing down <laughs> like, let's do heaven stuff that's what's possible that's the invitation that is that's the God we're talking to so to bring it all back 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 that's why I find God outside of church, arguably. Because God's in the dream that's way bigger, that's way more like, how do we do something that's never been seen before? Mm. That's God for me. <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think one of the things that became so important, even coming out of the scripture and in your story, is like when you learn to hold your own story not try and push it into the story you wanted it to be, to push it into other things. Even this part about Elijah where he comes back to himself and he kind of sit back into his feet. That's why kinship exists is so that mm -hmm. we celebrate Micah's story so that you know your story can be celebrated. Micah's sharing all these realities about, I've learned to kind of hold my wounds because my wounds drive me toward the people who actually love me and they've been able to hold them and they've created beautiful bonding connected moments so we want to celebrate your story and we can look at a scripture in the old testament that maybe was talked about god's power and if you pray long enough and if you like mock your friends enough i don't know I'm just kidding, but, <laughs> that, but to remember that oh no no god but god is always concerned but god will come god will seek you and god will meet you and it may not be in the place you expect. You expected it to be in the huge. You expected it to be with the fog machine. You expected the it to be with machine. the verified pastor. And sometimes you were enlightened. You were inspired for sure. They, they, they do know how to preach. Mm -hmm. But 
the one that brings you back to yourself is the whisper, the internal, your spirit resonating with the spirit of God in a truth that can mark and change the trajectory of your whole life like Micah talked about. That's a whole lot of words there. But it's all to say, you are freaking loved and we're all freaking family. And that's just the way it is. We love you. Now this time, I'm going to say something else. Look, Micah is our director of ops. I just want you to know this. That's because we're working towards a place where we can be in person, where we can gather, whether that's online or in person. We'll have a couple of onlines before we get in person. But we're going to have this kind of thing together to celebrate each other's stories, to learn, to hold one another's pains, some of those pieces of our lives, to show each other how to hold it. Mm-hmm. So that'll be coming down the road. Um, Micah, you're an extraordinary human being. I'm really grateful we get to be on a team. Yeah. I'm really grateful for this conversation and your generosity with your story. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, the end. Just kidding. You are love. And we're family, and that's just the way it is. Peace, y'all. Get up everybody and sing. <laughs>